0: I wrote this book because I needed to read it. I wrote this page because I needed to release it. I pursued this because there was no other possible option I had to. And I think if we just look at things like that, because that's what a calling does. A calling compels. It's not a choice. A calling compels you to do something.
1: Well, hey there. If you have not yet met my name is Alex Judd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, one of the things that I feel like I've had to get way better at as a small business owner is learning the ability to wear multiple hats in terms of my relationship with specific individuals. And that is our guest today because I met Amber Williams just as a friend. We started doing these Thursday night Zoom calls right when COVID started back in 2020. That was seemed like ages ago now, but back in 2020. And and it was just this Thursday night gathering of friends focused on intentional conversation. And up to that point, Amber was a stranger, but she was this person that started showing up to these calls. And I was just so appreciative of her energy and her perspective. And it was out of that, that I learned that she owns a brand strategy and messaging organization, and she leads a team of people that does that for businesses. And we got to talking and she ended up becoming a path for growth customer after we started this business. And I still get to work with her in a one-on-one capacity. I constantly tell people she is by far Far the most creative person that I work with. And I'm just so uh, always enlivened by her perspective and her attitude. And man, we get into into some fights sometimes. She can be stubborn. I just love that. And it was out of that experience that I said, okay, well, if we're going to spend some time doing some work on Path for Growth's brand and clarifying what our brand is, who would we hire? And of course, the answer was Amber. And we did a brand elevation strategy session with her and our team that was just so powerful. And we haven't even applied it all yet, but it really helped us take all of the passions and energy and words that are in our head about this brand and about this mission that we're trying to build about how we want it to be portrayed to the marketplace. And she helped us put words and concepts and ideas to it. It was just so remarkable. And I think that ties in directly to what I most wanted to talk to her today. Because one of the things that she is deeply and profoundly passionate about is the idea of helping people unleash their creative calling. And I felt like that would be a great place to kick off. But really, first, I wanted to hear the story of how her creative calling came to be.
0: I think it's not just a matter of helping people unleash their creative calling, but helping people feel free enough to. Recognize that they have a creative calling and to pursue it. And so, my journey to unleashing my own creative calling really goes back to when I was 22. And when I was 22, I was just getting ready to, you know, graduate college. And I was on track to be a lawyer, believe it or not. I wanted to be a criminal prosecutor. (laughs) I wanted to you know, just shred people in court. I feel like they're still part of me. <laughs> okay.
1: I mean, you didn't leave everything. You still shred people sometimes, Amber. I Let's be very real.
0: <laughs> I do. I love to do that. But I wanted to just shred these hardcore criminals, right? And I had this whole plan from the time I had set foot, like in high school, like, this is what I'm going to do. This is my path. This is where, you know, the classes you have to be great in and I just knew that's what I was going to do until I took an internship and really saw like the leaders at that law firm do that. And I was like, this isn't fun at all, not glamorous Mm -hmm. at all. And I also at that time began to realize that there was this creative spirit that I had that was not going to be fed Through This profession. And at that time, you know, entrepreneurship or chasing your passion wasn't a thing like that wasn't a popular opinion. But I just knew that even though I only had a couple of weeks left, you know, to graduate, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to follow that path. That was not my calling. And so a couple of weeks before graduation, I decided to not go to law school, even though I had been accepted And I decided to move to New York City and I took my graduation money and I caught a one way flight to Manhattan. And at that time, I wanted to get into the fashion industry. And so I started dabbling around in different things. I was styling at New York Fashion Week. I was working inside Armani in the marketing and PR department. I was a stylist at Ralph Lauren and I was doing all these different sort of creative roles and I loved it. I was dead broke for the record because you get paid nothing at (laughs) in New York City, dead broke eating Doritos for dinner, but so happy, just so incredibly happy. And I felt like my spirit was so fed. But after a while, that was not sustainable. You can't be young and free and broke forever. And so there started to be this tension between... I would call it art and commerce, like the desire to want to make art for a living, but the true reality that you have to flip a coin to live, like you need to figure out something that's going to give you a steady paycheck. And at the same time, I also began to cultivate this appreciation for listening to that calling. And so when I was inside Armani in that experience, there's this one guy, Patrick, who was the creative director there. And I looked at him as somebody who had mastered that tension. He had mastered being able to do something that he loved that still paid the bills. And I remember my very first experience with Patrick. It was for a photo shoot and we were getting ready to go into this photo shoot. And he said to me, you know, you don't talk, right? And you know me, Alex, at this point, can you imagine my reaction to that?
1: (laughs) You were about to shred Patrick.
0: (laughs) Right, right. But I'm like, here's this creative genius inside this amazing world. And he's just told me not to say a word, right? And so I didn't respond because I wasn't supposed to talk. And I quickly learned that that was not just a request for this one photo shoot. That was a request for the duration of my internship. When you go into a meeting, you know you don't talk, right? When you sit down for coffee with these people that, and we've invited you to this table, you know you don't talk. Like you are not here to speak. And I took it harshly at first, as I think most young, overly confident 22-year-olds would take it. But Mm. over time... I began to listen. So instead of always being ready to say something, of being bitter that I couldn't say anything, I cultivated this skill and appreciation for listening. And so I would go to these meetings and I would listen to the critiques that people had. I would go to these photo shoots and I would listen to the direction from the creatives who were bringing this vision to life and I would also start to listen to myself. And I began to learn that unleashing your creative calling started off in silence. Like you have to first listen to understand what words should be spoken. And so when I look back at my career, even early on, I listened to what took me from role to role to role and what the common denominator was throughout that journey. And therein lies your creative calling. But you have to listen to it. You have to listen to figure out what is happening throughout these experiences. What are people saying to you? What are you observing? And then talk and then chase something and then pursue But you have to sit in silence first.
1: Gosh, there is uh, is so much wrapped into that initial answer. I I think where I want to start first is just the idea that one of the things that I've observed in myself, but also seen in the leaders that we work with, is that sometimes the reason why we reach a destination that we're not happy with is because we didn't have the courage required to shift the path along the way. Like there's times where I think we know we're going in the wrong direction, but because although it's wrong, it's what we know and it's what's familiar. And we don't have the courage to leave what's known and familiar. And for me, the story about you saying, I'm about to graduate and go to law school and that's the path that I'm on. And you had the courage to say, no, I'm gonna call that what it is, it's wrong. And I'm gonna do something that's completely out of left field. Uh, Did you face resistance in making that decision, Amber?
0: I faced resistance from every single person on the planet, everyone, except for my mom and my dad. And that was all I needed. All I needed was their validation and their encouragement. And I knew I could fly. I remember asking them, well, what if I fail? And they said, but baby, what if you fly? And I said, well, I'm flying. I'm broke, but I am flying literally to New York City. And I I think the same is true in business, Alex. Like We could set a plan and share it with our teams or cast a vision and start going down that path and get halfway there and then realize it's the wrong direction. But how many people are scared to admit it and then pivot? Mm. So many people, they think that, the path has to be linear. Like this year long strategy, it's got to be linear. We have to stick to the script or this career path I'm on. It's got to be linear. We got to follow those proven steps. And that's simply not true. And I, I blame our society, honestly, for that line of thinking, because if you just look at it at 18 years old, you're told to pick a major. Like, pick a major for what you want to focus on for the rest of your life. How insane is that? Or you get into the corporate world and you're in what's called a department, a division. How insane is that? And so I think Mm. that if we began to just accept the fact that nonlinear thinking can be genius, nonlinear paths can be amazing and full of impact, then I think people would be more comfortable unleashing their creative calling or pursuing something that doesn't make sense in the moment, but it makes sense to them. It makes sense in their heart and it makes sense in their head. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think that th- at the same time, if, if you're going to take a step like that, any step associated with creativity always demands boldness, right? Because you're doing something new, different, and unique. That's what creative means. And so if you're going to do something new and unique, then it requires you to be bold. And to be bold, you need a certain level of internal conviction that this is the right next step, right? Or you need to have a level of belief that it's like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so for you, where did that conviction come from? Where did that level of internal belief and confidence come from? And where does it come from moving forward? Because I know you've taken more of these steps to start your own business and things like that. Like, what is that rooted in? Mm.
0: I think early on, it was rooted in just upbringing. I think my parents raised me to have an unshakable level of confidence almost to the point of being irresponsible, (laughs) almost to the point of being irrational at times. And so early on, that's where it came from. And I think I've just always believed in myself, like really, really believed in myself. I was doing affirmations as a teenager, like just looking myself in the mirror, just visualizing and affirming like what I was going to be. But over time, I think it has come from what we call in business, proof of concept. So I may have had X amount of failures, X amount of losses, but I've also had some wins. I've also gotten a couple of hits in. And every time I have a win, I write it down. And not just a one-liner. I mean, I fully tell that story to myself in my journal. And I have a journal on my desk here of my wins so that when I'm losing, Because let's be honest, a lot of times we we miss more than we hit. When I'm losing, I can go back and look at those. And so it's kind of like that saying, if I can make a dollar, I can make two. If I can do this thing once, I can do it again. If I was right this time, maybe I'll be right again. If chasing this passion or this calling in this season proved to work or it proved to help me learn something that I wouldn't have learned if I didn't go through that trial, then I can do it again. And so I think that's where it comes from. Just, again, consciously listening and watching and reflecting on what's happening in your journey as you grow.
1: Yeah, I think that word consciously is absolutely right. It's almost like confidence isn't just bestowed upon you. It's almost kind of like you have to earn it.
0: Yeah, I think some people are just naturally more comfortable in taking risks, right? But I think to have confidence in your craft, you do have to earn that.
1: That's right. And and it it shouldn't be any other way. Like, I think that's a God thing. It's like, he's like, I'm not going to make you outrageously confident whenever you haven't earned that confidence, because that's actually incredibly Mm -hmm. dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, why don't you be confident in what you can do today and have just enough courage to do a little bit more tomorrow. Just be a little bit out over the edge of what makes you uncomfortable. You said something to the effect whenever you were talking about unleashing creative calling as a phrase, and, and it highlighted the fact that you wanted to show people that they have the freedom to recognize that they have a creative calling on their life. Is that a statement that applies to everyone? Like, do you think that everyone has some sort of creative calling that's manifest in different ways? Or how do you view this topic of creativity as it applies to just people in general?
0: Mm, That is such a great question. I think that recently I've started to view creativity as not just something that is for the chosen few. I think innately we are all creative. Because at one point we have all been children. And if you look at kids, kids are the most creative (laughs) beings on this planet. The most creative beings. They naturally identify problems and solve them, they naturally build and put things together, they naturally color outside of the lines. But as we grow up, what happens? You go to school, you're told to stay within the lines. (laughs) You go to math class, you're told that this is the formula you follow, right? And so that childhood creativity is like shaken out of us. But I think we all had it at one point. And I do believe that it resurfaces in different people's lives at different journey points. I think some people are more comfortable listening to it and giving it attention And I think some people ignore it, but I think we all have it.
1: Why do you think people ignore it? It
0: goes back to what you said about being bold. Not only does it require boldness to pursue or unleash a creative calling, it requires a great amount of risk and a odd comfortability with failure. Hmm. I think a creative life or leading a creative business means that you have to be comfortable with regularly facing fear and failure to a higher degree, perhaps, than someone who has a linear path or who is replicating the model of someone else just in a different market or in a different way. You have to be comfortable with failing all the time with putting your whole heart on the table and having people criticize it, putting your art into the world and having people not like it. That requires a certain mentality, I believe, that is cultivated. You have to cultivate that comfortability with those things.
1: Yeah, and and it's almost like there's, there's a relationship between Uh, creativity and maybe maybe the small word is optimism or creativity and the big word is faith, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. that like you're going to wade courageously into the unknown, not because you know you're going to win, but because you know you could fail and at the same time it's right and you're going to move forward even if you do. And Mm -hmm. it seems like the, I mean the most impressive creative people that I know on the planet, it seems like are these people that, have lost their maybe na- naivety, right? Like or naivety. It, it, I don't know how you say that word, Amber, but that, that word they've, gives they've me know, so much
0: anxiety.
1: Yeah, let's just say both naivety and naivety, <laughs> right? Um, okay, so so they've they've lost that. And, but they're no less optimistic, right? Because it's, there's one thing to be just a hopeful, delusional optimistic, just because you're super naive and ignorant of how the real world actually works. But there's a whole nother side of creativity that says, I'm going to choose to be hopeful, faithful, and optimistic, even though I am outrageously aware of what's actually going on and the potential for catastrophic failure. And it's like, yeah. I think that's a great picture of faith.
0: Yeah. It is. It is. It makes me think about there's a story I read in Creativity, Inc., which, you know, is one of my favorite books of all time by Ed Kaplan. Yeah. And it's the story. <laughs> I, I, feel of,
1: like you tell me, I feel like you tell me to read that book like once a week. You're like, Alex, you have to read it, this
0: book. Read it twice. <laughs> read it, read it, read it over and over and over again. So it's the story of Pixar. And there's one chapter in there, and I believe it's the chapter called Fear and Failure. And he talks about the making of Toy Story 2 and how they had just come off of this major success. Toy Story put them on the map, really. And they were asked to replicate it through a sequel. And, you know, in the creative industries, there's so much fear around the sequel, so much fear around a movie sequel, around the second album. Like there's always a fear that number two is not going to hit as well as number one did. And so he talked about how they were in this creative funk trying to figure out what the hook was going to be, what the story arc was going to be, what the emotional transitions were going to be. And he started to compare the process, this really deep, high stakes creative process of developing the storyline to excavation he was saying at a construction site that excavator is just digging and the excavator has gotten its orders to keep picking up this dirt and to keep picking up this dirt and he knows exactly how far below you know that surface level he needs to dig and as an excavator is digging into the dirt there's all kinds of stuff that they pick up major rocks mm-hmm. artifacts all kinds of unexpected things. And sometimes when those unexpected things are found through that digging, it changes the plan. Maybe the home that was supposed to be built on that lot doesn't get built on that lot because we found X, Y, and Z. Maybe we need to move this over here. Maybe we didn't know that this dirt had this water pressure under it. And he talked about How creativity and moving forward in any kind of creative journey or creative calling is like an excavation. You have an idea of where you want to go. But as you keep digging, as you keep moving forward, you don't know what you're going to find. That's going to alter your plans. That's going to shift your ideas. That's going to flip the storyline on its head. You don't know what you're going to find. But your job is to keep Digging and to keep going and to keep taking those insights and to keep shifting. And I think the same is true for all of us today. It's funny, I was talking to one of my mentors once, and I was sharing with her that we had gotten halfway down a plan that I thought I was leading my team on, and then we started to go in this one direction, and I felt like it was the wrong direction. And I'd already had this, you know, great big strategy meeting with everyone. And I didn't want to look silly changing the plan. And she told me that as a creative leader or just as a leader, your job is to point the ship to land, period. Point to the left or to the right. And as you keep going, you may find that land is not that way. Just like you were digging, you may find that this ground is not what we're gonna build on, but you have to point somewhere. And if you find that it's not the right direction, then your job is to admit that and say land is that way. The dirt is that way, you know? And so that was a really, really important lesson for me, just in that faith and that optimism. Also having the humility to recognize that where you're going may change.
1: I don't even re- think you realize you just did this, but I love it. You, As you were telling that story, you said as a creative leader or no, really just as a leader. And I love that because it's almost like what that says when you say that is creative leader is redundant. You don't need two words because if you are a leader, you must be creative. There is no other option. So I'd love for you to dive deeper on that, like, inextricable relationship between leadership and creativity, Amber.
0: Oh, goodness. You're right. I think that I have learned a lot of this, I think, from you over the past year, because I think I used to view creative businesses or creative business leaders, quote unquote, as so different from other business leaders. I was like, oh, they don't get it, you know. They're all left brain. They're all, you know, checking these boxes, following these paths that have been done before. But I think the rules are all the same. You know, now that I Mm. have built my team and I'm what, a year and a half into this business that I have. I think the rules are all the same. Right. Every team needs to be inspired in order to move forward. Uh, Every leader needs to have a vision to get people going, right? Everyone needs to have a clear, clearly defined message that their brand stands behind that can motivate people and connect with their audience. The rules are all the same. We're just playing in different sandboxes. We're just selling different Mm. things, but the rules are the same, I've learned.
1: That's right, and I love that you use that word vision I've just been so inspired ever since we started this business, just because I've been thinking so much about the topic of growth, right? I think about growth every day. All, all I think about is growth now, which is just such a, such a joy. <laughs> That's, thankfully it's what I love to think about. Right. But it's just like vision is essential for growth. It's an absolute necessity, obviously. And, and what is vision? Well, it's this unique human capacity to picture or imagine a future that does not yet exist. And when you think about the fact that we are one of like a remarkably limited number of species on earth that can actually do that, that have the brain power to put this picture together in their head of something they've never actually seen in reality, like that is mind blowing. And it highlights, I think, all of the opportunity that we have as leaders, but it also highlights all of the responsibility. Like you have this brain that can do that. You better steward that brain right? You better steward that sense of imagination. But I think so often whenever we get to this topic of vision, because we either went to business school or because we were trained as a type A leader or because we it's the only way we know, all we do whenever we apply ourselves to our vision for our business or our vision for our personal future or our vision for our growth or our vision for our team, all we do is we picture a slightly different version of what we've already seen in other things that are out there. And Mm -hmm. it's like the artists who are out there, the painters that are out there that only paint slightly differently than this other guy that's an absolute pro, they're never wildly successful. It's the people Mm -hmm. that have the guts to say, I'm gonna create something that's entirely new, entirely innovative. No one's ever seen it before. And yes, I took pieces, I took inspiration, but I'm gonna create something. And so I guess what I'd like to know from you is, I think you even highlighted the fact Creativity is something we were all born with. It's something that is peeled or ripped away from us. What are the disciplines or the practices for regaining creativity and the boldness required to be creative, especially in this arena of crafting a vision of something that doesn't yet exist?
0: Oh, I love that you use the word practice. That's your word, <laughs> a word that is so true to your <laughs> brand. I would say that's
1: that's our word. That's our word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's our word. Yeah, I, I. The truth is, you do. You have to practice it every single day, right? Nobody is great because they were just quote unquote born with it. I think some people have certain gifts, but to cultivate those gifts and turn them into skills that can impact and benefit others. You do have to practice it. And so, for me, I think one of the best ways to practice and really harness creativity is in the form of expression. Creating a ritual of daily expression every single day. And that expression does not have to be publicly facing, but I'm a huge advocate for journaling, right? And journaling for whatever you want to journal about but i journal every single morning and every single evening i journal when my thoughts are not clear i journal when i don't think i even have anything to write down but journaling expressing what's on your mind what you loved about today what didn't go as planned what you're most grateful for what you know you wish you could do different tomorrow just journaling expressing yourself hearing your own voice and watching it land on the pages of a notebook that can help you hone in on your passions it can help you hone in on your gifts it can help you start to see what's really important to you maybe what's missing in your life and so expression i think is huge now as a writer of course that's like my go to written expression but i know plenty of people who will practice expression through painting or through mm other art forms, you know, through singing, through dancing, just pick something that you used to do naturally as a child before you realized people were watching and just practice that for 15 minutes a day. And then you start to step into this version of yourself that is comfortable being uncomfortable. And the more and more you practice that, the more that that will translate over to your business. Because you and I both know that it can be uncomfortable casting a vision. You don't know if people are going to hate it or or love it, right? It can be uncomfortable at times putting a new concept out into the world, getting on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people and sharing something that you think is amazing, right? Your parents told you it's great, but you don't know what they're going (laughs) to (laughs) say. You know, you don't know what your reviews are going to be. So just practicing expression will get you comfortable with yourself in doing that on a larger
1: scale. Yes, I I so agree with you. And I think like the act of journaling, I think it's really tempting to sit down at a blank sheet of paper and to be like, well, I don't know what to write. And that's the exact reason why you don't do it. And that's the exact reason why you should do it because it's like, okay, well, if you only do things that you know what to do, then by nature, you're not being creative, but if you can sit down at a blank sheet of paper and ask yourself some version of the question, what is the best possible way that I could fill this sheet of paper right in front of me right now? that is an act of creation. You are literally taking Mm -hmm. something that did not exist and you're making it into something and who knows if it'll be good or be bad. And quite frankly, who cares if it'll be good or be bad? That's I think in observing and learning from creatives, I learned this a lot from the songwriters that I met in Nashville, is Mm -hmm. there became this point in their career where there was a shift from, I'm doing it for all of them out there to I'm doing it, I'm doing it for me. And because it's what I feel, quote unquote, called to, right? And because I'm called to it, their opinion is really secondary. I think Mm -hmm. there's something in that mindset with regard to how highly you hold other people's opinions in terms of pursuing this idea of calling. Is that right?
0: That's absolutely right. Because the question is, do you care enough about someone's opinion to stop doing what you have been called to do? And my answer to that is always no. It's a clear no, a no without hesitation. <laughs> Austin, <laughs> it's a clear no, right? Austin Kleon uh, is one of my favorite artists and writers, and his book "Keep Going" opens up with a page that says, "I wrote this book because I needed to read it." He was writing that book because he needed to release these encouragements about how to keep going and how to stay creative in times that are good and times that are bad. So the 10 rules shared in that book are reminders to himself. And I think we need to approach our work in the same way. I wrote this book because I needed to read it. I wrote this page because I needed to release it. I did this dance because I had to. I pursued this because there was no other possible option I had to. And I think if we just look at things like that, because that's what a calling does, a calling compels, it's not a choice. A calling compels you to do something. I think we need to look at more of our work like that.
1: I totally agree. I I love the phrase a calling compels. I, um, it was shortly after starting this business, which I got some version of this question a few times, but this was the best one. I got a LinkedIn message shortly after starting this business from uh, someone that I had never met before. And it was literally just this message that said, Alex, what the hell were you thinking leaving Ramsey Solutions? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll don't do you like those?" You as well. Oh my God. But I think that was the moment. I'm so grateful for that message because that was the moment that I realized this thing that we were doing called path for growth. It was calling. Cause I was like, mm. I uh, like your, your opinion is nice and valid, but irrelevant. Right? Like mm-hmm. I, I, the good thing is is I'm not doing this for you. And so like, and, and I think if you are a person of faith too, that, that, that idea of calling comes in because it's like, I have a mentor that he says, my definition of success is, did I do what God said? And it's like, if that's your definition of success, did I do what God called me to? Did I do what God said? Then outside opinions are quite frankly irrelevant. And, and even results and success and how big your business is and all of that, it's irrelevant. And I think that ties into that idea of calling. It does. You're doing what you're supposed to do.
0: And when you get into it, there is nothing more gratifying than doing what you love, doing what you're supposed to do, doing what you're gifted at, doing what serves people every single day. There is nothing better than that. I can't imagine a life different. I can't imagine a life where I am following someone else's calling because it's a safe route. That just seems crazy to me.
1: That's right. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be happy and easy and convenient. Because I think that one of the other myths that we should probably dispel, we said calling is something that is compelled out of you. But we should also highlight the fact that calling is not convenient. And I think sometimes people, you know, we highlight this idea of journaling. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to sit here on a blanket and journal for seven hours a day for three weeks. And then suddenly my calling is going to be thrust upon me. And I feel like your story (laughs) is such a great example of like, your calling was found through hustle right your call. i mean you worked really really hard for years and and you said earlier it took you 10 years to step into your creative calling that's a full decade of work and so can you speak to the relationship of like if we're going to find this place of calling one of the things that's required is action
0: mm. you know elizabeth gilbert has this quote that i often go back to when i speak about this idea of action and she says that This is from her book, Big Magic. Creativity is a crushing chore and a glorious mystery. And she continues by saying, the work wants to be made and it wants to be made through you. And I believe that there's so much implication in the word usage in that phrase, because it is a chore and the chore comes into play when you take action. You have to keep moving forward. You have to take action on those things that you believe you're being called to do. Even if it's an unpaid internship after you have a degree, which is what I did. (laughs) Even if it's working for $9 an hour at Fashion Week, right, when these designers are making millions. Even when it's taking a role where you are told to be quiet when you feel like you have brilliant ideas to share, even if it's starting at a lower level than what you think you should be at, right? Even if it means working for someone else for a period of time so that you can learn, you have to take action and put one foot in front of the other. And again, reflect and observe what is happening along the way. Because without action, You can't determine what that calling truly is. You can't really determine how it's going to manifest or should manifest in your life until you have enough experiences, until you've practiced enough, until you've taken enough action to have enough dots to connect. Some people say they want to pursue their passion or they want to unleash their creative calling, but they don't have any dots in the air, nothing that we can draw lines to. So you have to take action. You have to do something before you can form something recognizable through your career journey or through your business journey.
1: That's, oh, yes. The thing that strikes me too is like, I think so often we think through that lens in the climbing of the career ladder, but I think the risk that we all run in the journey of growth is the risk of plateauing at a level of uh, adequate mastery, right? And so Mm -hmm. what I think of is like, I mean, we coincide with business leaders, and this is something that I am constantly and vigilantly aware that I am susceptible to as well, is Mm -hmm. we can reach a level where we've got it, right? And where you've, you've, achieved a level of financial security and business security, you've got some recurring revenue coming in, you've got, you've got people that are working for you, you've got a good level of brand awareness in the marketplace. And you use all of that as the reason to just hit pause. And, Mm. and you never actually start continue growing. And I think the reason why it's related to that Jordan Peterson quote, you know, I haven't quoted him yet. So I might as well, right? Like, it (laughs) he who is unwilling to look like a fool will never become a master. And it's Mm. like, I think whenever we reach that stage of mastery... We get comfortable in it, and so we're unwilling to do anything new ever again that would result in us looking like a fool, right? We don't, we're don't. we not willing to try new things that we maybe would have done in our 20s or in our teens or certainly as we were children because we don't want to look like a fool again. And I think there's something to that idea of never-ending growth and, and of this mm-hmm. idea of calling – That's like, this is an infinite game. It never Mm. ends. And Mm. there's constantly new iterations of creativity that you could be stepping into. You know, I mean, Mm. it just seems like there's this idea of unending potential that is perpetually in front of you.
0: I agree with that so much. And the truth is, I mean, you and I are both threes on the Enneagram, you know, achievers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unending potential always in front of you is like our coffee in the morning, right? Right.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I I think that we do always have to have a healthy degree of humility that comes along with that confidence. And I think we have to have a beginner's mindset, a place where we are always learning because you've never made it. None of us have ever made it. You know, if you watch, you know, interviews from some of the, the greatest just achievers of our time within different industries, there's this striking degree of humility inside of them. They're still practicing their craft. They're still playing basketball. They're still writing or journaling. They're still, you know, playing the cello. They're still doing the thing because they still believe that they have something to learn. Right. And... You know, if you think about Michael Jordan, one of the greatest basketball players ever, was cut from his high school team, went on to have this phenomenal career, has this phenomenal legacy. How many shots do we think he took throughout his career that he missed? I saw some statistic the other day, and it was striking. Like, everyone knows him for his game average and all of this, his his shots that he made but this is the number of shots that he took that did not go in that hoop. And I think that is what humbles us all, the number of shots that we take that don't go into the hoop. We have to remember that. We have to remember those misses just like we remember those wins because that's what keeps us humble. And that's what keeps us students of our craft. You have to be a constant student of your craft, I believe. Yes. Always studying, always observing, always believing that there's someone better than you.
1: Oh, absolutely. And if you, if you don't have misses, right, if you don't have a miss stat, then it doesn't mean you don't miss. It, it means that you don't take shots, yeah. And I think we're all called to continuously be taking shots. Right. And that's that's mm-hmm. embedded into this whole idea of creativity. It's like you got to be taking some shots. You got to be taking some shots. Like one of the principles we've been writing a lot around and talking a lot around our team about is like the greatest threat to growth is the delusion that you're already grown. And it's mm. like the word grown. If I'm grown, why do I need to grow? Right. I don't need mm-hmm. to grow because I'm already grown. And it's like, but conversely, what's so fascinating is some of the highest performers in the world are the people that really internally deep seated believe I haven't made it yet. I still have so much work to do.
0: That's right. I still have so much to learn. So like to add to what you just said, where you said people who don't take shots, I think it's also people who have the misses and they don't put them on the scoreboard. They don't take note of those misses. And it makes me think about how you always say that there is value in evaluated experience. When you take note of your misses, you're able to go back and evaluate why you missed, what happened, how you can shift your game plan to maybe win next time. But you got to keep a note of those just like you keep a note of the
1: successes. Yeah. And I I think we kind of got into this topic. I I don't exactly know how we got here, but it was through the lens of journaling. And it's like, what a great journaling exercise that is. Is like, Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes people say, oh, I don't know what to journal about. I don't know what to write about. Well, a great question to write about is what happened there, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) when something goes really well or when something goes really poorly or anything in between, just asking the question, well, what happened there? Because if it went really well, I should probably focus on how can I reproduce that and make that happen every single day and if, mm-hmm. if it didn't go well, what happened there, you know? And, and I just think mm-hmm. that's a that's an incredible question just to focus on, and it, but it demands awareness, I think. And it demands that we slow it down does. the pace some. Okay, so before we jump into the next topic, the related question to the next topic is, describe for us what your creative calling is now and how that expresses itself through the lens of your business in this season, Amber.
0: Sure, so... Today, I empower creative change makers with the words to change their worlds. And we do that because we want to see the world as a whole change. And so you and I talked about this in detail last year, but I am so passionate and excited about different leaders who I call change makers, people who are making waves in their spaces, people who are not just leading, but who are defining their industries. I am passionate about a bunch of those people being out into the world and collectively making a major shift in society, a major shift in culture, a major shift in the world. And so, That's my creative calling today. And I work with these people who maybe were at different phases that I was in as I was looking to discover my own creative calling. And I help them unleash that through their work in the form of words. And so you know how serious I am about words, how much weight I feel like our words have. And I truly believe that words define our legacy. Words are even more important at times than action. And so in my business, we help these creative change makers uncover what makes their brand special. And then we find the right words to express that. And the goal is typically to shift thinking or to shift behavior so that they can make their wave or they can make their move within their industry. And we have a couple of different ways that we do that. We have our one-on-one, obviously, Unleash Your Creative Calling sessions, where we work directly with founders. And then we have what I did with your team, that brand elevation, where we take the whole team on this journey of doing that. And so that's just been super exciting over the past year and a half. And then recently, we decided that we wanted to find a way for people to put these practices, these frameworks of discovering the right words to define their legacies into play on their own time, right? Or within their own teams. And so we created an audio guided journal called Writer Studio, and it walks people through these five rules for uncovering that unique message and for finding the right words. And these are the five rules that I have come to recognize and know to be true throughout my decade of finding my own creative calling and really, really walking in that. So that's been super exciting just to have that out into the world now because it is the culmination of everything that I've experienced before entrepreneurship and then within this business today.
1: Yeah, I I love that you brought up that that last that guided uh, audio experience, because I, and I love that you title it an experience because it is an experience like this is one of the most amber things that I've ever walked through before. <laughs> and we bought it for our team. It's like, it's like, you know, when, when you ask the question, well, what do I journal about? It literally tells you you have amber in your head telling you this is what you should journal about. And it walks you through like, how do I get these ideas out of my head? And I, I w- we'll put all the links to those resources in the show notes of this episode, and we'll talk about them a little bit more at the end as well. But I want to talk a little bit about the relationships of the words we use to the brand that we create. And I think the word brand is, is maybe a buzzword in business today. And I can honestly say that I didn't really understand the power of brand until I worked at Ramsey Solutions. And when I started working at Ramsey Solutions, one of the things that I learned almost immediately is that there would be people who I got on the phone with that were complete and total strangers like that I had never met before. And we started the phone call from a place of trust. And that blew my mind. And I realized the reason why that was is because they didn't trust me. They trusted the brand. And I was someone that worked for the brand. So can you speak and teach a little bit just on the power of brand and why leaders at every level should attend to and focus on the creation and the intentionality surrounding the brand for their business or their leadership or even their life?
0: I love that you said that because when you have a strong brand identity, the feelings and emotions that define the actions that the brand takes are transferred over to the people that it wants to reach. And that's a perfect example of how that actually happened, that transferable meaning took place. And so the very first time I learned what the true definition of a brand was, was in graduate school. And it was on the first day of my brand strategy class. And our professor asked the question, what is a brand? And All these cocky hands went up, of course. And different people said, (laughs) you know, different answers, you know, like a brand is an experience or, you know, a brand is a story, a brand is a logo, a brand is a tagline. And he let us all just make a fool of ourselves, right, for a good 20 (laughs) minutes until he came in and he said, a brand is none of those things because none of those things can withstand the test of time. trends. A brand is a promise kept. And I have kept that definition since I learned that because it is absolutely true. A brand is one big promise that this entity, this organization makes to the world, to the world. It's like a vow that they make that defines what people can always expect from them. And it transcends the products and the services and the experience that they sell today. And it truly goes through different times, different generations. And so the best brands are able to make a promise that they keep in everything that they say and everything that they do. If you look at Nike, Apple, McDonald's even, Walmart even, some of these most recognized global brands, they have shifted their messaging, they have shifted their logos, they have shifted their product suites, locations, everything. But people still know them and trust them to be who they are because they've kept their promise over time there's a reason why certain families use nothing but Tide. And when you ask the kids who move on to college in their dorms why they're using Tide, they say, because my family used it, right? They have no other reason. (laughs) No other reason. There's a reason why Nike is a global dominant giant that faces little to no competition in their space. It's because they have a promise that they've kept over time. They have shown up and been consistent in the way that they present themselves over time. And that builds trust. And that's how you last in the marketplace. And it's incredibly important to build a strategy around brand, because if you don't have a brand, all you have is a commodity, in my opinion. All you have is a business that looks and sounds like everyone else. But brands mean something to people. And it's so important to matter in today's economy. It's so important to mean something to people today beyond that transaction.
1: You saying if you don't have a brand like that, and if you haven't invested that time and intentionality, you just really start to look like everyone else. I think you either look like everyone else or you don't look like anything at all. Right. And people are just like, I, I don't know who that I, I don't know what that business is, what it stands for. Like, I, I have no clue. And I love that you use that example of Nike. You and I have talked about this before. One of my favorite business stories is Shoe Dog. Right. It's just such a remarkable story. And it's it's just such an adventure that Phil Knight went on in the building of Nike. And you in in, in explaining brand, you highlighted the importance of consistency. The thing that's really cool about Phil Knight and the story of Nike is What they do today, whether you agree with it or not, and I know there's people that disagree with some of the ways their brand manifests, you cannot argue with the fact that it is consistent with Nike's story of being ragtag, rebellious, uh, like elite challengers, right? And and they are operating in consistency with that original heartbeat of the founder. But so often what I see whenever we interact with impact-driven leaders and businesses is that their founder actually has a, a pretty strong brand, right? And and there's there's this heartbeat inside the founder, they've got this deep-seated passion, they've got this quirky way of doing things, they've got this thing that's outrageously unique and maybe even a little bit out there, but it never goes beyond the founder. It never, mm. it never scales. And as a result, the founder preserves their brand, but the business doesn't have that brand. And there's this there's this distinction. And pe- people love the founder, but they don't experience the passion of the founder in the manifestation of the business. So, can you speak to how businesses and teams can take that heartbeat of the founder and start bringing it to life through the, the team members, the products, the services, the storefronts, all of that?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll first answer your question by going back to Nike, because even Phil Knight had to be reinvigorated, right? So in the 80s, Nike was not winning. Nike was losing to Reebok. And a lot of people don't know this story because we view Nike as such a giant, but they weren't always on top. And so the founder had this passion, this amazing story, this calling, if you will. But it took someone else coming in, someone by the name of Dan Wyden, to get that out of him and propose a message, the right words that could express that. And it's a whole nother story where the words came from, but this just do it that we know today was the manifestation of that heartbeat, but that just do it slogan has not been around forever. That was an attempt to win after a significant losing streak in the eighties. Right. And so The same things that Dan Wyden did with Nike, with Phil Knight, are the same things that today founders need to be open to. And that is, number one, fresh ideas. (laughs) And number two, really sitting down and seeing, what are people saying about this thing that we've created? I truly believe that a brand, in addition to being a promise kept, but it's also the summation of conversation about you without you, right? If you ever want to know what do you think your brand means to people, just figure out what are people saying when you're not in the room?
1: What, oh, how man. are people Hold defining? The, the, you, gotta, you, you You can't just keep going from that. The summation, <laughs> say that phrase again, because that's so powerful. Your brand is the summation?
0: The summation of conversation about you without you. Oh, we don't need so good. We don't need Steve Jobs in the room to tell us what Apple is about, right? You don't need any of the founders of these phenomenal brands to tell us what their brand is about. You think of Apple, you think of innovation, right? You think of Nike, what do you think of? Boldness, yeah, ability,
1: aggre- yeah, aggression.
0: Aggression, going against the grain, daring, being brave. Right. All these brands, you think of Brene Brown, you think of what?
1: Vulnerability.
0: Vulnerability. These people don't have to be in the room. Some of them have died, but we still know what their brands mean because they have taken the time to listen and see what people are saying. Right. You can't just go into a dark cave and write down in your journal what your brand is going to mean and what it's going to stand for. You have to first figure out today, what do we mean to people? What do we stand for? What are the intangible assets that we have that are attracting people to us today? You have to do that listening. Again, this is where that listening and that sitting in silence and humble reflection comes into play. And then you can begin to start forming that into a message, into an identity, so that you can continue attracting more people, so that you can begin to define your legacy with the right words. But you can't do it in the reverse order because it's not just about you. It's about the people you are serving. And we know that all good branding begins with getting on the ground with people. It always begins with research
1: and reflection. I'd love for you to speak a little bit about the relationship between brand and story I, because i uh, i'll never forget you and i i mean you and I kind of met through a weird series of circumstances, we were doing these like random Thursday night zoom calls whenever COVID started. And you were Mm -hmm. one of the many strangers that showed up to these thirds. And this was before (laughs) the business even started, right? This wasn't even a business thing. This was just the the weirdest God thing ever, I'm so grateful for that group still, because I'm still connected with so many people from that group. But you're one of the people that showed up and you and I just became friends through that experience. And as a result, whenever I started the business, you were kind of alongside us. And I, just like messaged you brand questions. Cause I was like, I know Amber always has an opinion and I'd love to hear it. Right? <laughs> and I'll never forget. I recorded, we, we like rushed to get a podcast together because Zach Way, the producer of this podcast, he said, man, I want to do it and I'll do it for free just because I think y'all should have a podcast. So it's like, well, mm-hmm. we're not going to do it for free, but we'd, we'd love to do it. Yeah, we should do a <laughs> podcast. And so we paid him like $150 a month just so we didn't say we were doing it for free. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm still so grateful to Zach for that. But so I rushed and I was like, let's see if we can get an episode out in, in a week or two weeks or something like that. And I rushed, mm-hmm. I hustled we recorded that first episode. I was so pumped because we were back in the podcast game. I was so excited about it. I immediately sent it over to you and I was literally sending it over to you just to hear how great that first episode we recorded was before we released it. And you immediately sent back a message that said something to the effect of like, I think this is entirely the wrong direction. And I was I like, Oh my it. gosh! <laughs> like, you <laughs> broke my heart. I was like, I put so much work into this, and and uh, you you just said, Alex, you're teaching content, and people don't connect to your content; they connect to your story. And so we said, okay, well, we're gonna. I I, I kind of thought you were wrong, but I was like, I'm gonna go for it. Why not go for it? And I just said, okay, let's go re-record the first episode. And we re-recorded the first episode to talk about the process of deciding to leave Ramsey, the calling behind starting the business, the courage it demanded and everything associated with that. And I will tell you, Amber, I have gotten more messages still today about that initial podcast from complete strangers that talk about the power of that story and the reason why they're still immersed and engrossed in the Path for Growth community is because they connected to that story in some capacity. And every time I get one of those messages, I think to myself, gosh, this is just like Amber telling me I told you so every single time. I was right? gonna to wait like for second. you to say <laughs> it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I told you so. I told you so. I told you. But I, I think sometimes and and I know other people experience this too. Founders don't tell that story of starting the business because it, it it can feel selfish or arrogant or they don't want, they don't want to talk too much about themselves, which I think is correct. Like we, we need humility for sure. But can you speak to the reason why it actually is an act of humility to weave your story into the brand that you are actively creating?
0: Yeah, it's, it is not only an act of humility. I mean, It's proven science that when you tell a story, you are able to get people to pay attention to you, right, for longer periods of time and at a higher intensity level than when you just start sharing facts, right, when you just start sharing objectives or whatever it is. And so, story is so important, I think, because. At the end of the day, we are people connecting to people. And it's not arrogant and sharing why you're here, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make you cocky. It doesn't make it look like, you know, you think this is all about you. These are the things that make you human, interesting, unique, and vulnerable. And contrary to popular opinion, those are the things, those beginner stories are the things that are going to help you stand out from the people sitting to the left and the right of you who sell the exact same thing, the exact same thing. And so story is one of those intangible assets that you can actually compete with. You can compete on story. You can brand on story. Someone can and will choose you over someone else. Just from your story, because they connect with it, and so the idea of story can feel intimidating, I think, to most people when you tell people, "Hey, share your story right It doesn't have to be super complicated we're sharing stories every day every day we're sharing stories. You get on the phone with people, you're texting people you're you know talking to your kids or your family or whatever we're always sharing stories and I have found that there's this three-part, easy-to-follow structure that people can use regardless of how and where they're telling their story. And it's relation, relevance, and reaction. And the basic idea is that you have to start with relation, how you relate to the topic that you're sharing. If you want other people to care about what you're talking about, and I think in that episode, you were talking about what it means to be an impact-driven leader, right? And I I believe you were talking about growth. Why should I care about that if I don't know why you care? Like, why am I going to keep listening? I don't, like, what makes you different from anyone else who has a script and a mic? Nothing. If I don't know why you care about this topic, if I don't know what about this compels you, if I don't know what about this has changed you in some way and brought you to this place. And so that is so incredibly important, something that we cannot miss in any form of communication. And then the second part is where most people jump to relevance, right? This is what I want to say. This is why it matters to you. But again, nobody cares about what you want them to care about until they know why you care. So then the final one is reaction. So after you've told your story, after you've shared how you relate to this, and then you've transitioned into sharing why they should care, why your audience should care, then you have to be clear on what you want people to do. What is the action that you want them to take? And sometimes we think that that action always has to be a buy now. Right. Or a transaction, but it can just be a simple shift in thinking, right? That pulls them into your community that starts to introduce them to the ideals that your brand is built upon. That starts to bring that promise to life. So you have to be clear about what is the next step? What is the shift in thinking or behavior that you want people to take? Because you've got them at the best place once you've told a story. You've pricked their hearts. They're wide open. So what's next now? So we can't leave that part off either.
1: That's right. So much of what you just described, I feel like, is what our team got to do with you in that brand elevation session I mean, we got so much out of that. It's it's the type of stuff because we're such a scrappy and small business right now that's growing, like we're going to be applying this stuff, I believe, for the next probably five years. We're going to be making the brand that we created with you come to life. Like people, you haven't even begun to see what Amber's created yet with regard to our brand and our identity and all of that. We're just hustling to try and get stuff online and have a website up and all of this. And we're like, oh, my gosh, but we want this so bad to come to life because it's so exciting. But one of the things that was so cool that came out of that that session, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, is because we did it as a team brand elevation session, number one, there was so much healthy conflict that you facilitated in that virtually, but it also reinforced and rallied the team around who are we to the outside world. And there were like... We, we got three, those three tones out of it that were real and rugged and rare. And I swear, since we've had those tones and I, since I've started thinking about, okay, okay, I want our content to be real. I want it to be authentic. I want it to be rugged. I want it to be, uh, what what do we say? Intentionally unpolished to a degree, which we do a great job yeah. of that. And then we want it to be rare. We always want it to have a different spin. Since I've started to look through that lens with regard to the image we are providing to the outside world as our brand path for growth and as myself, I promise you. One of the realizations that I've had is, oh my gosh, the people that are coming to our business are people that I absolutely love to have as customers. Mm-hmm. Like I love them. It's like, oh my gosh, you're calling me literally because you enjoy entrepreneurship, but also you love climbing mountains and running marathons and stuff like that. And you just <laughs> want to work with us. Like, who? What? What world is this? How did I get so lucky? And it's like, it's not luck. It's intentionality. It came from the branding session, and it's just, and and we got the five truths about our customers that you. You helped us extrapolate from every angle of the team. And we talked about kind of the promise that we are making to people as a brand being path for growth. And yes, it was it was incredibly impactful for me, but I think even, even more than just establishing the brand as being impactful for me, was seeing our team's eyes light up around the brand that we all got to be a part of for other people. And uh, so can you speak to the value of getting the team engaged and getting multiple voices engaged and a a diverse array of opinions engaged to inform your appearance to the outside world? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a great question.
0: And it was such an amazing experience working with your team. I think before I worked with you, and your team on this, I was very adamant about founders only. I work with founders. And it's interesting because over the past, my first business was a brand storytelling agency, and I would work and develop these brand stories with the founder in a silo and then say, all right, we're done, have a good life. And they would go back to their teams, change everything, and then come back to me a year later or a couple months later and say, look, my team is not happy you know, why is all this change happening? They didn't get to, you know, participate. They didn't have any say in it. And so working with your team, I think was an amazing experience just to see the value and that collective mind share really helping to get to the answer, really helping to define this brand. Because the truth is your team has to live out the story. You know, it goes back to what we said a little while ago. You're not the only one representing your brand. You're not the only one telling your brand story and keeping that promise. Your team has to practice it. They have to communicate it. They have to live it. And so who are we to leave them out? And working with your team, one of the things that I noticed that was such an advantage, I believe, to what you all are building with Path for Growth is the degree in which people think independently on your team. So we would get together and we would ask these questions on, you know, what path for growth means and, you know, what do we believe is our unique point of differentiation? And, you know, if we had to sum up our value in one word, what would it be? And everyone had different answers. And I love that yeah. I everyone had that.
1: different answers that they were everyone had different answers they were hyper passionate about too. It's like I found hyper myself passionate. being like, man, I'm glad we're I'm glad we're virtual because this could end up in a fist fight if we weren't. This is getting aggressive. <laughs> but I think it was healthy. I think it was good. Mm-hmm. it was it was certainly fun and our team still talks about it.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's important to get those insights from your team first before you start doing market research to ask people what you mean because As a founder, you can find yourself in a delusion of thinking that you're something when you're not. And if you don't ask the question, the people who are sitting right in front of you may totally disagree with what you think this is about and what you think we're doing, what you think you're leading people toward. And so I remember we had that one exercise where we asked everyone to bring an artifact that represented their story. Again, going back to story. And we asked everyone to share what that artifact meant and how it made sense in them getting to where they are today. And that was one of the best parts for me, just hearing people tell those stories, you know, with those artifacts of, you know, their career paths and their families and what this role within Path for Growth really means to them. I think we were able to find the common denominator in those stories and then define this brand and connect it to the people you know, that you want to serve. And so I loved the tension and the different viewpoints from that
1: exercise. That's right, I think one of the learnings that I got from that session specifically is, I think so often one of the greatest challenges a passionate founder can face sometimes, or even just a passionate leader can face is, I want these people to be as passionate and bought into this impact or the sense of impact as I am and you compromise their ability to do that whenever you don't involve them in why the impact actually matters and I felt like the whole thing was like kind of exemplary of just like answering the question like why does this matter and what are we doing for other people? Like we were trying to put names to what we actually serve. And it was, oh, it was so, so powerful. It's something that I still reflect on as such an incredible investment, of course, in the outward facing nature of our business. And that's going to continue to come to life on our website and social media and podcast and all of that. But even just an investment in the heartbeat and soul of our team that I'm just so grateful for. Okay, just for the sake of this not being a four-hour podcast, I want to point people. <laughs> I, I want to point people to two things, and you kind of already alluded to them. Uh, number one is that some of you need to start taking the ideas and the passions that you have in your head. You really need to start putting them on paper. And I believe that is not just an act of creativity. I believe that that is an act of leadership. And I'm telling you, that is why Amber created this writer's studio. And she had a whole team of people that worked on this. And it's such a powerful exercise for saying, I'm going to get these words and ideas and passions and things that keep me up at night out of my head, put it onto paper. So then you can go do something with it. So that's called Amber Williams Writing Studio. We're going to go ahead and put the link to that uh, guided journaling experience. It's an audio. Workshop. It's just wonderful in the show notes of this episode. And then the other thing is that some of you are at the stage where you really probably do need to do that brand elevation session that we did with our team, um, with your team. And I think that if you are a leader that really resonates with the idea of like, I, I have my passions as a founder established, which she will even help you establish in a session she does with you. And now I need to make sure those passions are transferred through our team so that we can actually create the impact that we were called to make. That's a brand elevation session. We'll also put the link to that and all the information about that in the show notes of this episode. Amber, is there anything else that you would point people to or mention about that, just encouraging them regarding those two things?
0: That's absolutely it, Alex. And I think that you hit the nail on the head with the value in your team being a part of that unearthing process. The ability to transfer that passion into your team empowers your business with the ability to transfer that passion and that meaning to your community. And that's how you grow. When you have the right words that are born from your heart that move through your team and that they're able to amplify throughout your community and throughout the world. That's how you leave a lasting legacy. And I think that's what every impact driven leader is trying to do, to leave a legacy where they will be remembered and referenced for the right reasons. Mm.
1: Well, Amber, I appreciate your work so much. I appreciate the fact that I get to work with you as a customer of Path for Growth. I appreciate that I get to work with you as a brand consultant for Path for Growth. uh, And I just appreciate that you're someone that I can call my friend. And so thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your energy and passion around this subject. And thank you for being someone that is committed uh, and maybe even compelled to pursuing their creative calling. Thanks so much, Amber.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Alex.
1: Gosh, there's so much in that conversation. Uh, I am just so grateful to Amber for her perspective, for her energy, and honestly, for her passion uh, to pursue what she is called to do. I think that one of my takeaways from that is like truly we all have creative opportunity, but I would also argue we have creative responsibility because that idea that creative leader is actually a redundant phrase, I think it's so true, right? It's not a creative leader. It's just a leader. You are someone that is creating. You are envisioning a future that does not yet exist. And then leaders just bring people along with them to make it into reality. Amber, thank you for your time. Thank you for your investment in today's conversation. Hey, before we go real quick, I know most of you are already a part of this, but if you haven't yet joined, we send an email every Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. That's because we think that most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time. It's not worth your energy. So we set out to create one that is. So every Wednesday we send out a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. It takes about two minutes to read. Our team just has a blast writing these, and we're so grateful to all of you for signing up and sharing these emails and just everything that you're doing to help us get the work word out about this. So if you want to be a part of that community, the Worth It Wednesday tribe, you can click the link that's in the show notes of this episode. Y'all, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.